Hello and welcome to the Helping Organisations Thrive podcast. This is your host, Julian Roberts. This podcast is to provide leaders with insights, discussions and robust strategies to help their companies thrive in these challenging times. We will be interviewing business leaders, owners and experts in the field of business resilience. Welcome to Helping Organisations Thrive. Uh, Today I have uh, Kevin Rustasy. Good to see you, Kevin. Nice to see you as well, my friend. I'm excited to be on here with you today. Yes, I'm very excited to to be on this call today. And we're talking a little bit about the future of work uh, today. So uh, a massive topic, but we're going to talk aspects of that and be really interesting to see what uh, you have to say and, and the discussion we're going to have. Um, before we get into that, I just want to just just uh, share the audience a little bit about who, who you are. Uh, so you're a human capital management consultant and you have a passion for helping and empowering HR to become strategic, giving them tools they need to change the trajectory of the business by providing value. And you have a tagline, and I really like this, is flipping HR from a cost centre to a profit center. And we will be touching on HR professionals today and how we can help them support them. So it's a probably an episode for, I think, certainly HR leaders to, to, to tap into, but also other leaders to sort of think, okay, what how the house can I support my HR leader? Uh, so the first question I asked, which you've, you've listened to some of these podcasts before, um, you know what it is. It is what do you love about what you do, Kevin? So, yes, I have listened to you and you're an amazing uh, host. So um, what do I love about what I get to do? Um, I love uh, having an impact on anybody's life. Right. Um, And I see that we in HR have the opportunity to really change the world. Right. And I say that um, unapologetically because I believe that through better business, um, business out in the communities, being more involved in the communities in which they live and work. I think we can improve the livelihood of everybody within those those areas, right? Um, and I believe that impacting and, and empowering HR to show how they can be better business partners and precisely where they can make an impact, they empower themselves to then start really focusing on why they originally got into HR, which was the focus of the people. Um, and I love helping people. So at the end of the day, when I get to, to have a conversation with a, a business that's struggling, uh, and seeing them them kind of sprint away uh, or or kind of back on their feet uh, and really kind of realigning their priorities um, is really uh, enlightening. Um, but it's also gratifying for me to really help and empower somebody else other than myself. Um, so that's why I get to love. I love what I get to do is to really develop those relationships with people and watch them and empower them and watch them grow. It's great to hear and feel your, your passion, not only for people, but for, for HR and how to help them and, and to liberate them and empower them. Um, I guess the, my first question on that is, what got you to that place of realizing that's what you're about? What yeah. was your purpose? I mean, was there a moment or was it just you drift into this or or you were very intentional about it? So I think it's a it's a it's funny. I think um, it's a crooked mile journey, right? I think that some of the things that I have in my past is why that I'm so passionate about what I you can do in HR. So uh, my first degree, I got a degree in biology. So I wanted to get into healthcare. I wanted to get into healthcare because I wanted to develop relationships with people, see them walk in broken, and watch them walk out fixed, right? Um, and really have that relationship. And then when that did not pan out, I, I started into to sales. So my first job, I was shining shoes at a country club. 
Um, and you really feel like the bottom of the totem pole there when you have a college degree. You're like, wait a second, this isn't what my guidance counselor promised me. I was guaranteed a great job. You know, I go to college again, guaranteed a great job. Well, that didn't happen. Um, and then I quickly realized what the world really was in the business business sense. And it is it is the good old boys club. It's all about it's more about who you knew um, rather than what you knew. Uh, and that's really where I started to then got my first job was in sales. You started seeing who got promoted. And I always was like, well, why did they get promoted? Why were they chosen? You know, um, always asking those types of questions, but definitely came from a company that did not value HR at all. Uh, it was truly the redheaded, ugly stepchild. If they were near your desk, you, you were either going to get a pink slip in your, in your drawer or you were in trouble. Um, they never really had any value back to the business. They were the party planners. We had one a, once a year company picnic. And that was pretty much like that's all I thought HR did. Um, and then I got to see HR where they're really valued at the executive table. And I started to see that difference. But the majority of businesses that I then got to consult, you got to see the clear disconnect between HR, finance, and senior leadership. Mm -hmm. you, you almost noticed that you talk about the future of work. A lot of businesses didn't even know what tomorrow was going to bring um, because they were constantly fighting fires in the moment. Um, so they're always functioning almost in this sense of organized chaos. Um, and they're working towards the common goal, like, you mm -hmm. know, like success of the business. But everybody had their different objectives on how to achieve success. But nobody talked to each other. Um, so I kind of I always tell Julian, I, I really fell into HR um, and then I started to pick up the pieces, peel mm -hmm. back the onion a little bit um, and say, well, why is HR not valued? Well, they're not focusing on the right things They're focused on only the administrative tasks of HR. Yes, they're important, but they cannot be the majority of their day. And they need to also be focusing on the people, the benefits, the compensation, the learning and development strategies, and then be able to tell their impact via numbers, not emotions. So that's really, I, I always say I tripped into HR and found the missing puzzle piece was data to really mm -hmm. link finance and HR to have a, a, an equal conversation. That's interesting. And it's interesting how HR, certainly in the last 18 months, uh, has come to so much to the forefront and almost not like frontline workers of healthcare workers and delivery drivers and all that type of thing, but They've certainly become more frontline in the context in a business. You know, they manage those switches to, you know, going home the weekend when it was all happening in March last year to remote working, supporting staff, well-being, mental health, mm -hmm. all the issues that come out of it. And I think it's been a absolute tough ride, obviously for everybody, but particularly I, I feel for a lot of HR leaders who have been ransacked and then sorting out things like furlough and who's working, who's not working. And it's been really difficult. And then, you know, return to the office type mindset, hybrid working. How are we going to go about? I mean, managing all that communication and helping uh, the sort of senior leaders uh, navigate that. Uh, it's been an absolute mission and a task for HR. And I'd just like to get your 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 thoughts and perhaps your observations of, of the last 18 months from a HR perspective. What has, I guess, what you think, what's, what's been a good thing, but also what's then sort of come out of that, what's transpired for yeah. uh, in the context for the future? So I always use the term rocks in a hard place, right? HR has always kind of been in a very difficult role, right? They're asked to help kind of communicate what the people want, right? What the employees want, 
but then they're also there to help serve the business, right? And protect the business, ensure that it's compliant and everything else like that. So right there, when, when a manager goes to HR and they say no, right? And then an employee goes to HR and they say no, they're then viewed as the no police, right? So then people start to go around HR. They have this adverse adversarial view of HR because HR at the end of the day is just there to protect the business. Now you talk about an organization that does not value HR. A lot of them started making the rash furlough decisions and HR was there to help to have to support what the senior leadership decisions that they were making on who was going to be let go, who was coming back, how we were going to get back to work. They're simply there as like the microphone. Now, the leaders in HR, right, the ones that are providing value, they were looked to during the pandemic to say, what do we, what can we do? What do we need to do? How do we keep everybody? How do we, what people can we get rid of? Um, and they kind of navigated the pandemic very differently. Um, they probably came out of the pandemic even stronger than going into the pandemic, mm. um, rather than the ones that were the CEOs and CFOs making those people or labor related decisions based off of a spreadsheet, right? When we kind of have more information or more knowledge around a particular, let's say, project, then you can start making more knowledgeable, informed business decisions, right? I find the lack of HR providing data, real data, and mm. turning that data into insights that can be then performed, like take action on, is severely lacking in the HR world. And that's where I see HR kind of CEOs want 79% of them in a recent KPMG study want to reinvent their entire HR department. Now, what's odd, Julian, is only 29% of CHROs believe that they need to reinvent. So that's a okay. 50% gap. In, 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 and it just really tells you right there how disconnected has HR become to the business itself. Mm. And do, do you think it's become more disconnected or do you think it's become more connected or where? I, now, I, would, I would have thought in yeah. this time it's come a lot more unaware what the department does what that what that sort of aspect of that business does now but you're seeing things differently here i guess i i'm, I'm seeing a, more of a shift right so uh, i the company that that i work with and we're like a loose consultancy where it's more about just the education of to hr professionals is called hr evolution or revolution right it's the revolution of hr for the evolution of business the GDPR here in the United States and globally has really shifted more towards a service-based model, which makes the employee and the customer experience vitally important, right? That is ever more important than when we're producing a widget and then producing a widget and then providing it to a customer. It's very different than a tangible, mm. it, it, that relationship is ever more important. And a lot of it is a lot of leadership is still trying to run Lean Six Sigma process to a more service-based modeled industry and really missing the mark, right? We see sign-on bonuses. We see all these other things because they're not really sure what the employees want. So I would say HR has gotten more attention over the last 18 months because they were the ones that were having the difficult conversations. Hmm. We know that talent is the number one thing that's keeping CEOs up at night. So when talent acquisition, war for talent, and all these other things kind of culminate and, and, and combined, it creates this synergy or, or focus, let's say, on HR and people right now, because that's the biggest problem. Um, 
I would still say that HR still needs to understand more about how the business makes money, how they lose money, where do they spend it, and how HR specifically can help the business. Because, Julian, we were predicting like the gig work economy to be an X amount of percent. I think it was like 62% by 2025. Uh, we predicted that 79% of the job descriptions as we know them would need to be rewritten by the year 2030. That is now coming up so much faster due to the mm-hmm. pandemic that the way we work, right, the way people work is so vastly different now, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic, that HR firmly needs to be in that strategic seat. Because now businesses that they used to have access to a particular talent pool, all of a sudden that talent pool is no more. Mm-hmm. Then what? Right. So they have to be proactive rather than reactive. And that's where a majority of the departments sit today is that reactive firefighting um, stance. So I have seen um, CEOs now looking more to HR, um, but it's HR's opportunity, to your point, uh, to either pick the bull, take the bull by the horns and run with it, or they can continue to kind of go back to, to what they want to do. And then don't be surprised if, if the CEO starts bringing in some other consultants or experts. Okay, you talked about data and insights, and that HR need to be far more data driven and far, and then obviously ultimately to drive insights to make sort of business decisions. How how do we how do they do that? What have you got an example of what that would be in taking some data, turning to an yeah. insight, and then making that a HR role or a process of how they operate. Definitely, definitely. So one of the things that I always start with uh, big picture is is the scientific method, right? So if our business, right, our business wants to be the best glass manufacturer in the West Coast, that is our goal, right? So that's at the top of the pyramid. And what we in HR need to do, if that's like the business goals, the the three-year or the five-year plan, how do we get there, right? And how do we as HR, who are the people people, how do we get there from a skills perspective? How do we work backwards to achieve that goal, right? A lot of it's forming or asking data business questions, right? Mm-hmm. So don't be surprised if you see HR that say, hey, we're using metrics, right? We have dashboards. We have we know our turnover percentage. We know our attrition rates. We know our average age. But what are they doing with that information and what does that information mean to the business, right? And that's where a lot of people do not connect the dots. So if we have, let's say, 90% or 90-day turnover is one of my favorite metrics to look at, right? Because it can tell a pretty good story. I look at voluntary and involuntary turnover. So then it's like, okay, now we have the data. Now we need to pull insights from this and then tell a story back to leadership, right? So then they can take the information almost like it's coming from their own idea. And you can talk to people analytics. You want to plant those seeds. Um, But you need to understand what motivates them, what motivates that mid-tier manager, what motivates the CEO, what motivates the CFO, and what are their definitions of success? And how can you use data to support them to achieve their definition of success Mm. while still serving the business? And I, where the 90-day turnover, involuntary turnover is very high. That tells us that we're probably not starting with the right people. So where do we need to look? We might need to look at, well, where are we recruiting? Where are we getting our candidates? What is our screening process? Why are we not screening these people out? Because you and I both know the cost of turnover is one of the biggest low, low-hanging fruits of an organization. Mm-hmm. 
And when you start to can kind of peel back the onion again by using data, it will direct you on where to look, apply your insights as to why our voluntary turnover is so high. Are we mm. putting uh, the cart before the horse? We're telling them that we're a diverse, equitable, and inclusive culture, but we're really not at the end of the day. Why are people falling off within that first 90 days? And what can we do to correct that? So then we, we're not constantly fighting that fire of finding employees. So that's how I think they need to start asking kind of the business related questions of the data. How is it impacting monetarily to the bottom mm. line of the organization? How they can improve on that? And that gets us back to the conversation, Julian, where we're flipping from a cost center to a profit center when we start to understand how we're impacting the bottom line, how we can maximize that return on human capital. Great example. And I think as soon as you bring data, as soon as you bring insight, it starts to change the perception of somebody in, in a HR uh, sort of role as not being so fluffy mindset. Feely. Yeah. Feely. <laughs> and, being feely. and obviously they are the, the, the people aspect of a business. And that's important to look after the soft stuff of, of mm -hmm. life, mental well-being, all that sort of stuff. Uh, but this is more the hard aspects. And just like any business that puts a proposal for to acquire a business or to change uh, or increase a product portfolio, it will be driven by data, as you say, for as a proposition. Uh, and, I, and, I, and I think that interesting perception then takes it from this, it takes, takes that, that more profit center approach, i.e. we don't lose people because they cost money to, to keep losing people. Uh, I'm actually going to save the business money by doing this strategy I'm proposing, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. um, that's good. I mean, that's important. I think, um, and, I, and I th I, I, in my own interaction with HR, prior to me going on my own, they were far more data driven about uh, what was happening in the world of, you know, talent retention, attrition mm -hmm. rates, uh, and everything else, because mm -hmm. I think they valued that there was a cost to it. Uh, it's very unseen because you have to really yeah. dive down to it, but it is, it is a cost. Yeah. Um, just going more on to, I guess, looking to the future now, I guess, mm -hmm. in terms of how, I guess, workplaces have changed or are changing um, in terms of, you know, whether people return to the office or been told to return or whether there's a COVID passport yeah. needed uh, or remote working. Uh, it just be interesting. What are your thoughts on that? And also how for HR leaders, should they approach this with the organization, depending on the strategy they, they, they go about, I guess? Yeah, um, I think it's informing, right? It's a, it's still informing those senior leadership because there's a lot of perceptions in the world, right, Julian? There was a lot of, I always give the example is um, to give you an idea where the minds of employees are right now. I always say if we saw just similar to religion, faith, whatever, it's it's the belief in a greater being. It's typically a miracle is considered something that we believe not to be previously possible, become possible, right? That's almost exactly what happened during the pandemic. We were told as employees that we were not going to be as productive working from home. We would never be able to work from home. And then we saw businesses that moved at almost glacier speeds before move warp speed to get everybody to be able to work mm. from home and set up. Now we, that is like something that we all watched and saw. And then we said, wait a minute, a lot of us were trying to keep our personal lives so separated from our professional world because in the United States and, and maybe in the UK, it wasn't professional to weave the two together, right? 
you want to keep them very distinctly different. Now we made we force them together like an atom, right? And, and like a hydrogen bomb. All of a sudden we had cats, we had babies in our arms while we're sitting on Zoom. Our lives and work became so intertwined that now they've become such a jumbled mess that most people are like, well, what are we going to do? How do we, how do we, how do we get back to what we need to, how, how do we get back to work, right? Um, it's one is reviewing the performance information, right? So if some jobs are capable of not being fully on site, why in God's name are you going to demand that that talent comes back? Do you, are you looking to get maybe a lower tiered talent for that position? Or can you be a little bit more flexible like everybody else is looking for today? So I think a lot of the workforce today, Julian, is looking for like flexibility, stability. Um, they were almost like they're distrusting of the work environment today because they were almost disposed of like trash um, during when times got tough. So I think they're, they're also kind of it's the opportunity that data brings to businesses to build transparency. Transparency will build trust with the workforce again. Mm. We'll get the workforce back and engaged. And the thing that businesses say we're trying to listen to our workforce, they do a lot of surveys, right? But what do they do with that surveyed information? And this is where HR comes into the picture is to really help business leaders understand the impact of their decisions. We just saw in New York City when Chase Bank said, okay, everybody's coming back to the office. We saw how well that played out, right? It was a PR nightmare. Mm. Everybody was like, oh my God, what is that company doing? They did an employee survey. 69% of their people said they wanted to have a flexible work schedule. And here is the CEO of a publicly traded company. Now they're talking about maybe losing 60% of their people. Wow. Now, if the CEO knew that 60% of the people might leave and what 60% losing of your 60% workforce, how long it would take you to get back to that 60%, and then how long it would take them to get up to speed, so on and so forth, and the monetary impact, do you think that they would have made the same decision? Probably not. Probably mm -hmm. they would have made a more informed decision. And that's what I just see is HR is not sticking their necks out enough to basically say, hey, before we make that decision, I just want to let you know, it took us 280 days to fill this particular position and you want to get rid of everybody. I can't tell you what that's going to look like post pandemic. So that's when we start to looking at how we can leverage technology. So I always say buying, renting, growing or botting talent today. Um, so how can we pull on the gig economy? How can we a particular project? Maybe we outsource or maybe mm. we pull in some contract workers. Work is going to be that constant like shift it's going, it's never going to, you're never going to make it right. You're never going to be done um, in this environment because of the rapid advancements in AI technology and really a, a more interconnected planet. Mm. Uh, you're really work is changing at such an alarming rate that most businesses are not kept are, are, are way behind in my opinion. Yeah. And it's interesting because you just explained there is that HR becoming far more proactive. Um, yes. The business will have some, uh, desires or outcomes they want to achieve, but it's it's the HR taking hold of the people aspect, whether it's doing surveys, whether it's um, putting business cases forward, actually what's the best way of approaching this. Um, and I think it's, for me, it's for HR to really step up. It's a time to sort of step up and, you know, be the ones that help uh, build that talent, retain the talents, uh, obviously grow the talents um, and, and give 
warnings to you know the boardroom of some of the some of the decisions they may be making in the context of as you say you know making sure every, telling everybody to come back to the office when people have said actually i've got quite used to this working from home but i don't mind a little bit of in office but if you tell me to be there permanently i'm just going to walk out the door yeah uh, and sort of move on so what other aspects um do we need to consider for the future uh, as we still continue to unfold things are still developing um in terms of how businesses might operate what other I guess advice you would give to a HR leader uh, in how to continue to navigate this mm -hmm. this uncertainty that we we, we still have. Uh, we're sort of getting a bit more used to it, um, but it, it's it's not gone away. Yeah. Um, so, what other thoughts have you got in terms of that? And obviously, I know you, you even before you went straight to the data again because that's really important to the data. But yeah, uh, yes, yeah, so other strategies you may they yeah. need to employ. So I think a, a couple of things. Uh, so the, the first thing to kind of finish the, the pandemic conversation on, on how, how that's impacting their buyer, right? I, I want HR and talent acquisition people to basically sit in the seat of their buyer. What would I want in a company, right? It's not, if I'm only drawing people in for a monetary purpose with a sign-on bonus or what does that tell me? That person's only coming to my organization monetarily. If the next highest bidder comes in, where is that person going? To the next highest bidder, right? So you're fundamentally trying to build something. You're trying to build a culture, but you're trying to build it backwards. And the same thing with DE&I. A lot of people want to start with diversity, even though they're not even paying men and women the same. And it's like, wait a second. You got to pay men and women the same to create an inclusive environment where everybody then can feel comfortable and equitable and diverse. Hmm. So. It's 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 HR. Um, when we all experience that trauma through the pandemic, right? If us, the buyer, hard lines in the sand are not what you want to do. People need options today. Mm. They need uh, maybe three options. Work from home full time, work hybrid or come to the office full time. You can probably think back to some of your friends yourself, Julian, that would say, hey, I can't wait to get out of the house. My kids are crying. I, I want to go to the office all day, uh, every day th th this week, or I, I don't even trust myself enough to get my work done. I can't work from home. I have to go to the office. So people then are still going to make those own decisions based off of their performance, right? But a mm -hmm. hard line in the sand is really going to cause people to freak out because they mm -hmm. all just went through a trauma. They were all told to wear masks. They were all told now that they have to get vaccinated. They don't like being told what to do. And here businesses are, are still trying to tell people what to do. So mm -hmm. tap into what your buyers are, right? And I always say walk a mile in somebody else's moccasins. Like really put yourself, treat them like you would want to be treated. And I think that is like the first couple good steps for HR to start taking. Mm -hmm. And again, align themselves with the business because that more they can connect what the people want and what the business wants, right? I always say their customer is the employee and their employer is the business, right? Mm. So that's a very, again, rock in a hard place. How do I connect the dots of what our people want and what the business leaders want mm. so they can execute what they need to get or to, to go to where we want to mm. be? And it's, it's a really, Julian, I think it's more not to bring in data. It's more of a mind shift for HR that we can now be the leaders that our CEOs look to for information. Mm. For the longest time, it was the CFO. The CFO before the CFO was a bookkeeper. Then the generally accepted accounting practices made them the most valuable person to the CEO because they were the only one providing them with more information than they already had before. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. And it's I mean, when we're using that information, it's like driving a bus with a rear view mirror. It's dangerous. It's reckless. <laughs> and when 22% of businesses use data and science to make business decisions, that's concerning for me. That means that the other 78% of them are just going to trust their gut instinct and intuition. But if we want to lead in HR and really the future of work is finding mm-hmm. that harmony between what the employees want and what the business wants and how they, you can kind of play that translation game back and forth and really be there and be that central point focused on the people and how to maximize that return for the organization and the key stakeholders. Yeah, that, that's really good advice. And I, I really like the, the, the fact that the, having no hard lines, I don't think we can. It doesn't mean we give in to everything, but it's more about there's a flexibility, but with a proactivity of how can we align this to the business. And I think it's HR's uh, well, senior leaders as well, responsibility to align how the people interact, how how the workplace works to ensure that it, A, satisfies the um, the needs of the employees in terms of the job satisfaction, everything else that goes with that, mental health, well-being, but also that it meets the desires of the purpose mission statement of the organization. That's what you're there for. That's what you're getting paid for. Uh, but it's making sure that we align those two in a way that's, for me, more consultative. It's more employee engagement approach as opposed to, you know, CEO saying you are all coming back to work or if you don't, you've lost your job, yeah. um, which to me is just arrogance um, and not really well thought through, to be honest, um, yeah. and not very strategic. It, yeah. It's 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 that sort of 1970s way of leading, yeah. uh, which is yeah. just... <laughs> My way or the highway, yeah. It exactly. It, and yeah. Just, it doesn't work. Well, sometimes it works for a period of time, but not for long term. Um, I really thank you for being on, uh, Kevin. I really appreciate your your insights and and the challenge to HR to get more into data and insight-driven uh, approach, I think, is really valuable. Uh, if people want to connect with you, how can they get in touch with you? Please just uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. I, I do most of my stuff on LinkedIn. We got a couple of podcasts uh, as well. I do Time Out with Leaders, my buddy Tyler, where we interview CEOs. And then uh, HR Evolution, it's all one word, is the other podcast that's out right now. So we'd love, uh, love here to help, here to answer any questions, but I'm just as much as excited about the future of work just as much as you are, Julian. I think it's like, exciting times. <laughs> and thanks so much again for the opportunity. No, no, thank you for coming on. Much appreciated. Thank you. Beautiful. Thank you. If you like this episode, then please do subscribe, do share with your friends, and do check out other episodes in the series. If you're looking for support and help in your organization to create a resilient culture, then please do get in contact with me on julianrobertsconsulting.com. Thank you.